This special Answers for Elders podcast honoring military veterans is sponsored by Carriage. For more information about Carriage, the website is C-A-R-E-A-G-E dot com. Well, this is Chuck Olmstead, and I'm at Patriots Landing, and with me today is Ian Larson. And Ian is uh, one of the residents here at uh, Patriots Landing and a retired colonel from the U.S. Army. Ian, welcome to Answers for Elders. Thank you. Well, we love doing these segments because we like to hear the stories of our veterans. And uh, I always like to start at the beginning because that's always uh, usually where a story starts. So did you grow up in this area? Are you originally from the Seattle Puget Sound area or from somewhere else? No. Uh, and if you uh, people usually ask you know, about my accent, uh, I was born in the Philippines. In the Philippines, yes, and I grew up, uh, grew up there. Spent my first fourteen years in the Philippines, uh-huh. and I was born there uh, in nineteen forty, January nineteen forty, just before the war. Wow! So you were in the Philippines during World War II as a young child. Yes. What was that like? Well, I don't remember very much because uh, I was five when the war ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do remember one incident. I was two years old, and uh, we were ha- having lunch, and uh, we were up in the mountains uh, uh, hiding out with the guerrillas. Uh, my mother's family was up there. Dad was uh, interned as uh, a prisoner by the Japanese. He was a civilian who worked mm-hmm. as a mining engineer in the Philippines. Anyway, uh, one day at lunch, um, heard some loud noises and all of a sudden explosions all over the place. And the next thing I knew, somebody was picking me up and taking me off to a, a cave. And in there, um, you know, women were crying and, and uh, I couldn't really, you know, understand what was going on except a lot of noise going on. And, sure. And, yeah, so that I remember distinctly. Yeah. But, uh, otherwise, not not very much. So the Japanese would do some incursions up into the mountain areas where you were. They would, but they never uh, could get there because we were so far up and so deep that uh, the men would 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 you know the guerrillas would keep them away, and it was so far up there that uh, they. Uh, they focused the forces they had on protecting what was down in the lowlands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't realize that the Philippines, there's a lot of islands in the Philippines, correct? Mm-hmm. Were you on one of the major islands? or We were. You? Uh-huh. Uh, the island of Luzon, mm-hmm. which is the, you know, the, the biggest northernmost island in the Philippines. And how long was Luzon occupied? Was that, uh, was that pretty much during the entire war? Or the entire was it, war. Yeah. Really? Yeah, from 19... Well, uh, Pearl Harbor was in 1941, so by early 1942, the Philippines was uh, uh, invaded and secured by the Japanese. And from that point until the end of the war, 1945, it was occupied by the Japanese yeah. So you're five years old and the war ends. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Do you remember that? What was the What was the atmosphere like? I remember Dad coming home, uh-huh. uh, and he had been a POW mm-hmm. for three some three plus years. Was he treated well? 
No. Uh, but he was treated, he was a civilian, and he, was, he said he was treated better than the uh, soldiers mm -hmm. that uh, the Japanese had. But nonetheless, he came back uh, weighing 100 pounds less than he did going in because oh, he, he said they suffered dysentery and beriberi and malaria and all kinds of you know, other diseases. Mm -hmm. And obviously the diet that they lived on was uh, certainly didn't help keep up the weight. Yeah. So the, 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 the men that were in turn uh, uh, there put in concentration camps, uh, was that in the Philippines or were they transported to other islands? No, this was in the Philippines. And uh -huh. they were held at, uh, along with many soldiers, uh, while well, they moved around. Mm -hmm. uh, they started out in a city called Baguio, which is where I was born. Uh, and then they, they were moved and eventually ended up at... Uh, Santo Tomas University in Manila. Uh, and that's where Dad spent the majority of his time in, in concentration camp. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So what happens after the war? What's life like? Uh, I'm sure the island's somewhat trying to be rebuilt and, and yeah. you're trying to go to school. Yeah. And afterwards, uh, Dad w worked as a mining engineer for a lot of, uh, for one of the... Uh, U.S. companies that mined for gold in the Philippines. Now, a lot, one thing that a lot of people don't realize is before the war, the Philippines was the second largest exporter of gold in the world. And so there were a number of American firms that were there, and he worked for one of them. Anyway, went back to his old job, uh, and then uh, as far as schooling was concerned, uh, you know, I went to a Philippine school, uh, and in the Philippines, they have six grades of elementary as opposed to eight here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And so uh, six years of elementary, then four years of high school. So I finished high school at 14. I see. Yeah. Yeah. So, and if I remember what you said earlier, you were in the Philippines about 14 years and mm -hmm. left uh, after graduating high school. Pretty much, yeah. Did the family move to the, the U.S. then? We, the, we did. Uh-huh. Yeah, we, we, we did, and Dad uh, uh, settled in Seattle. He's from Michigan, but did not want to go back to the cold Michigan winters. <laughs> Don't so, blame um, him. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, a friend of his um, who had... Also, was also with him in concentration camp. He had come here originally and said, "Hey, Bill, come on up here. You'll like it in Seattle." So we did, mm -hmm. and that's where we ended up. Now, yeah, we came first, uh, Dad and my younger brother and I uh, came here first uh, because it took a year for my mom, who was a Spanish Filipina, to get a visa to come over, and so they joined us the following year. She yeah. and our youngest brother. Mm -hmm. So you're in uh, Seattle in about 1954, 1955? 54. Yeah. May 1954. Yeah. So you finish, did you then have to go back to school go, at that time? Well, I tried to go to um, Seattle University and become a mechanical engineer like my dad. And so when I went over there and uh, tried to enroll a, a very nice fellow named... Um, uh, Professor Harmon took me under his wing and said, Ian, probably the first thing we need to do with you uh, is is get you some more uh, some more credits in English and math 
mm-hmm. if you're going to become an engineer. So what I did for the next two years was go to night school and uh, do just as he said. And then in 1957, uh, started full-time at Seattle U. Yeah. Interesting. So I'm trying to look at the progress here. So you're getting into your late teens, early 20s, and Vietnam's starting to crank up in the early 60s. Mm-hmm. So what what happens in the early 60s for you? Well, in those days, uh, if you're 18 and male and able-bodied, uh, you had to take ROTC if you're in college. You had to take two years of ROTC, mm-hmm. basic ROTC. So I did that. And at the end of the two years, my professor of military science said, just what you just what you said, Vietnam's heating up. And he said, you're going to be drafted. And so maybe you want to think about going in as an officer. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he recommended that I take two more years of ROTC, which I did. And then got a commission uh, in the Army after uh, graduating. So uh, where did you do your basic training then? Well, I went to officer uh, basic training um, as an infantry officer at Fort Benning in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit warmer weather than Seattle. Quite so. <laughs> yeah. So what year then did you end up going to Vietnam? Uh, yeah, 1961 was when I graduated. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first assignment was with 82nd Airborne at uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Uh, first, I had to go to uh, the basic uh, infantry course for officers, and I also volunteered for Airborne School and Ranger School, which I completed, and then served in 82nd for three-plus years, and uh, then uh, got assigned to Germany, uh, but while there, I volunteered for Vietnam, and this was in 1966. So went to Vietnam for my first tour, 66 uh, through 67, came back for a year and went back for a second tour. So 67, <clears throat> of course, I was 12 years old at the time. I still remember the Tet Offensive, mm-hmm. which was 67, I believe. 68, actually. Was that 68? Yeah, the first, so, uh, the first of, I think, first of February, 68. Yeah, so I, things were really heating up at that time. I just missed that because I had just come back from my first tour and then, uh, yeah, went back mm-hmm. for the second. And you, did, you, on your own, decided to go back on the, or for the second? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> because by this time, I, you know, decided I was, I was going to stay in the Army. I see. Yeah. So they uh, they they give you a return uh, mm-hmm. opportunity. Gave me a return ticket to go back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my first tour there, I served as a, an advisor with the Vietnamese Army. I was an advisor to a Vietnamese Ranger Battalion. Mm-hmm. And then the second time, I was with a U.S. unit. Yeah, this was the 101st Airborne. Yeah. Yeah. So how long then uh, on your second tour of duty were you in Vietnam? One year. Both, 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 both tours were one-year tours. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. After Vietnam, then what happens? Well, after Vietnam, there was um, uh, schooling. And then, uh, uh, in fact, the schooling was uh, two years of graduate study at Georgia Tech. And the Army uh, was good enough to send me there. Mm-hmm. So I got a degree in computer science at Georgia Tech. And from that point forward... They rotated my assignments so that 
uh, on one assignment, I would spend time in what they called my primary specialty, which was infantry. And then the next assignment would be um, normally a staff assignment uh, that would use uh, my alternate specialty, which was computer science. Yeah. So what's a computer, I'm trying to think, computer science in the mid-70s was pretty rudimentary. I very, would, very. I mean, <laughs> from what we think about right now, yeah. it's, it was... I, I hold more power in my smartphone uh-huh. than they had at Georgia Tech in the great big room with the, uh, you know, with a mainframe computer. So what was, the, what was the Army doing with computers at that time? Was it more logistics kinds of things? That uh, was probably the primary thing they did, but one of the things that I did after I graduated from Georgia Tech was I, I went to, we were assigned to Fort Hood, Texas, and there I worked with a, an outfit called MASTERS. Uh, I forget what the acronym stands for, but basically a, a, a group that kind of looked ahead at the future, and one of the things we looked at while I was there was how to use computers for displaying Tactical information mm-hmm. on a screen, a large screen that computer uh, that commanders could look at and and kind of see where units were 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 and using that uh, to keep track of the battlefield situation. So for for two years we worked on that. Uh, and of course, uh, I mean, light years ahead. You thinking yeah. about what's going on now with yeah. drones and with automated warfare? Absolutely. It's amazing. I'm sure. You know, for you to see the beginning stages Absolutely. of that to what's going on now. Oh, yeah, and and again, that was just so rudimentary that it just doesn't compare with um, what we're able to do today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, how many more years then were you able to serve in the in the army? Well, I served thirty years in the army, mm-hmm. and then I retired here at Fort Lewis. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And what was your final assignment at Fort Lewis? I was the garrison commander here at Fort Lewis. I see. The garrison commanders, uh, I guess they, they were known as the, the mayor of Fort Lewis. Yeah. Interesting. So after the uh, Army and retirement, did you uh, head out into another vocation, or would, yeah. was it time to relax? No, I couldn't retire, retire. Yeah. <laughs> we, we just built a house in Olympia, and so, you know, the bills needed to get paid. Sure. So... Uh, I ended up working at Fort Lewis uh, as a civilian contractor. Uh, uh-huh. I was going to take a six-month sabbatical before I did anything, but um, they called me up about a month after I'd retired from the Army and said, hey, we got a project here we'd like you to work on based on your experience. Would you come on? It'll take you about six months. Well, you know, the six months lasted 11 years with wow. them. Wow. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I, I have not asked this question before someone, but, you know, out of your 30 years of experience, could you say that there's one of an experience that you had that you're the most proud of, that you, you said, you know, I, this is something I want to hang my hat on. I'm, I'm pretty proud of this. Well, the reason I ended up staying in the Army was I found that I loved being with and, and leading soldiers. Mm. And... We were in Germany, and I was fortunate enough to be selected for command, and I commanded a mechanized infantry battalion of about 800 young uh, males mm-hmm. uh, and commanded that unit for two and a half years, and that was probably as, as good a time as I had, uh, both uh, you know, professionally and uh, it was a good family time, too, because mm-hmm. Baumholder was a very 
isolated place, but uh, if you were if you were there as permanent party, uh, it was very close knit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I that's what I'm proudest of. I think is yeah. is the soldiers that I dealt with, and I think hopefully I was able to influence the, uh, a lot of young men. You know, who uh, were kind of on the fence when they uh, had to decide what they were going to do with the rest of their lives, and and uh, convince a few of them to stay in the army. Well, you know, one of the things that um, I've learned as I've been, we've been talking to veterans is there was a lot going on, especially in Germany and, and obviously Vietnam in the area of race relations. Yes. That, that, you know, the Army was dealing with even before some of the rest of the civilian yes. population was. And yes. so you, you got to deal on the front lines of that. We did. Mm-hmm. That battle, if you will, as well. Mm-hmm. What was that like? It was challenging, uh, and fortunately, we had some good commanders above me that that realized that and and uh, kind of uh, kept us at the forefront of of working on the issue of making sure that everybody was treated, uh, you know, treated the same way. It mm-hmm. didn't matter what what your color was. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because that, see, mixed in with this was also the fact that Vietnam had left the army, particularly in the lower-ranking leadership positions and uh, the E5 position, the young sergeant positions, uh, very depleted, and we had to uh, take the lessons from Vietnam and apply those to a way of training our young soldiers, corporals, and sergeants and teach him how to be young leaders. So, yeah. Yeah. So what brought you here to Patriots Landing? Why did you choose to live here in this beautiful place? <laughs> we looked around, uh-huh. and, and uh, uh, well, Evelyn can probably also uh, corroborate this, but uh, we'd lived in this beautiful home on the water in Olympia for uh-huh. 26 years, but it was reaching the point where you know, just maintaining the the house was getting pretty hard. And the fact that uh, all our medical care was right here at Madigan. Uh-huh. And so that traveling back and forth, uh, that got a little old too. So we decided, you know, here's a place that's close by. It's uh, from all that we'd heard about it, a really good place to come to. And so... Yeah, after checking around a little bit, we decided, yeah, let's do it. So yeah. here we are. Well, it's a beautiful place. Uh, I just came from a meeting with uh, uh, General, former uh, General Ken Farmer, uh, yeah. who's the mm-hmm. the CEO of, of Carriage, uh, a, a wonderful man and a great staff, and I uh, always enjoy coming here to DuPont and visiting this facility because uh, it's a great staff, great people, and the residents seem to really enjoy it, so mm-hmm. very good. Yeah, we do. Well, Ian Larson, thank you very much for uh, your service to our country, and thank you for sharing your story with us here on Interest for Elders. Thank you. This has been a special Honoring Veterans presentation of Answers for Elders, brought to you by Carriage. For more information about Carriage, the website is C-A-R-E-A-G-E dot com. 
Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.